0: You're listening to the Evolving Truths Podcast, featuring mother-daughter hosts Shannon Day and Alexis Ray, where honest and vulnerable conversations about personal growth create a connection between all of us. You're invited to experience the transformation that occurs when we allow the truth of who we are to evolve.
1: Hello, you beautiful heart and soul. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Alexis Ray, and I am one of the hosts of the Evolving Truth podcast. With me is Shannon Day, a.k.a. my mama. Hi, mom. Hey, Lex.
0: For a minute there, I thought you were going to take introducing me as your mama out because you did my name
1: first. And I was like, wait, I don't get to be mom anymore. You are always mom. Okay, thanks. Remember when Reggie said that you always see the people- the way that you see them until you give them a reason not to see them that way. I'm never going to accept any reason to not see you as my mom. (laughs) Noted. But sometimes (laughs) I got to remember to say your name so people hear it. That's funny. I like it. How are you doing today, Bruce? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? Are you feeling better?
0: We haven't talked
1: actually in a couple of days. How's headache and all that stuff going? Part of the healing process is letting myself believe that I actually need to heal instead of just thinking that I'm making something up in my mind or that I'm putting limits on myself. Like, you should be able to push through everything. And the concussion last year and this migraine spell is just such a humbling reminder that we don't have to do that and that it's okay to rest and that recovery is important. The past few weeks have definitely still been mentally and emotionally challenging. Physically, I've been stringing together some good days today. I'm feeling pretty clear headed, which is nice. I'm finding the boundaries. Every day I do a little bit more and then measure my recovery. So I'm grateful that it is what it is. Yeah. Good. How are you making, doing?
0: Glad you're making improvements. Thanks. I'm doing well. My body feels good for my 55K, so that's nice. Good. I selfishly love that you live in Arizona because mama may be coming out sometime in in January, beginning February, because being able to train outside and here in Colorado, that's, I'm not always a cold weather kind of runner and I'm even less of a treadmill runner. So love that you live in Arizona and I'll have some training grounds. So
1: that'd be fun. Yeah, girl. Come train. Yeah. Okay. Cool news. Reggie D. Ford is back.
2: Hey. Yay. Thanks for having me back. I feel honored.
1: Our pleasure.
0: Reggie, how are you today?
2: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It is a beautiful day. I'm about to go teach yoga to some young kids and then do some yoga and watch some football. So it's a good day.
0: Sounds like a great day.
2: Yeah. I'd love to go do some yoga.
0: Maybe I'll put that on my schedule today, too. There you go. And some cross-training. There yeah. you go. Maybe some gentle movement will be how I start mm-hmm. today with yeah. my training. We are so excited to have Reggie back. If you haven't been able to listen to the first episode when we visited with him, we invite you to go back and listen to that. Reggie is with us as the author of the best selling book, PTSD Perseverance Through Severe Dysfunction. Breaking the Curse of Intergenerational Trauma
1: as a Black Man in America. Mom, I know you have points in the book that we did not get to talk about last time. (laughs) Let's go. Okay.
0: Alexis sent me this book. I was like, Mom, hey, we're going to have him on our podcast and you need to listen to his book. (laughs) I've read it twice. I am so thrilled that Alexis met you, that she learned about your book, and that I had an opportunity to hear your experience you shared so vulnerably. I worked for over a decade in social justice, trying to develop that lens more, working in domestic violence and child sex assault, and thinking that I had the social justice lens and wanting to learn and be exposed more to other people's experiences. Your book made it So real, such being an eye-opening experience. You talked about your hope for readers is that it does open your eyes to knowing that there are other experiences. In all honesty, I'm going to call it this, some really shitty experiences that people have and knowing that that is true and thinking about what I can do in my life, in my world, in my community, how can I continue to make a difference and make a positive change? So I, I just thank you so much for writing it. And I am so thrilled that we get to have you here with us today.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm moved by your words and I really appreciate that. I
0: have to tell you how many times in reading this book or listening to it, I talked out loud. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? Someone (laughs) would say that? Like, obviously can't totally relate to or feel your pain, but I could feel that. But Reggie, it also made me have to stop and think about how many times I have said ignorant things in my life. I have to do better. We just have to do better. But back to you. This isn't about me. Reggie, your awards, you've got a bachelor's degree in economics from Vanderbilt, your master's degree from the Owen Graduate School of Management at Vanderbilt. You've got tons of awards. And not only these awards as an adult, but you had awards in high school. Lexis, when you say, mom, just dive into the book because there were still things (laughs) I wanted to cover. (laughs) One of the things, Reggie, was the day that you went to school wearing your college shirt that you were going to go to. And one of your coaches looked at your shirt and you say with a perplexed look on his face. And he actually said to you, Oh, you're smart.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So after I've been at the school for five years, so the school was seven through twelve and I had started in the eighth grade and I had this coach for a number of years through a sport and yeah, he said that. And and that was, it was just disrespectful. It just felt very disrespectful because I had put in a tremendous amount of work overcoming the stereotype that was placed on me when I walked through those doors the first day of eighth grade. It had been Known by many other people how how smart I was and how, you know, capable I was at doing the things that I was doing. And it was almost like even even with all that added effort, some people again are gonna see you how they see you. Back to to what we were talking about when he saw me as this dumb jock from the hood who got in here because I could play football, run, run or jump. And and that just wasn't the whole case. That wasn't the whole picture. That was a part of it. It felt very demeaning and disrespectful. That's something that I remember because so many jabs like that have been suppressed over time that I just like just blocked them off. But that one was one where I like I was one foot out the door and ready to go run toward Vanderbilt right down the road from this school. And it was like, oh wait, we're going to cut you one last time before you leave. It really hurt, and I chose Vanderbilt over Harvard, over Penn, over Stanford, over a lot of these even more prestigious schools, and it was, it was like a slap in the face to hear that, and yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever forget it. It honestly just motivated me a little bit more to keep going. Yeah.
1: To be so strong academically and a strong athlete, student-athlete does come first, or The words are in that order. But being smart sounds like it's been a part of who you are. The way that you describe observing the world as a young child, you were more than just book smart. To have someone in your life for five years, however long this coach was around you, to have that huge piece of yourself not even known Mm -hmm. or acknowledged. It's like, wow, am I really just... X. No, I want to be X and Y.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and the funny thing is, you say student athlete. The school, its motto or ideal student is gentleman scholar athlete, and so prioritizes gentleman before scholar then athlete. And I had won that award multiple times while I was at the school, and everybody's present for that. And you see, you know, gentleman scholar athlete of the year, and like this is like the award for the school. And again. People just see you where they see you. Being smart, I'm glad you brought that up. It's been something that I've been proud of, but also something that like really hurts just to be known as a as the smart one because I've been told by different people in my immediate family that there are no good qualities about me other than I'm smart. And it I, I feel it's a projection of of how, how they feel and, and the hurt they've endured. And to cut at me, it's like, you're not a nice person. You're not this and not that. And I I honestly, I resent that because I don't think the people who've said that know me as well as they should. And so even like hearing you're smart sometimes hurts. And and that's that's a tough thing to deal with.
1: Reggie, you just mentioning your family having a hard time with those transitions as you've gotten older. And I know we talked about that last time, like the ripples that we send through our lives as we heal. It really makes me think of the perspective we get when we step outside of our lives and we recognize, I I don't actually just want to be that. I don't just want to be this expectation, this thought and coming together as our whole self I think is part of the healing process and mm-hmm. the vulnerability through the book and the telling the stories and all of these pieces. I know you and I talked about it in one conversation. I don't know if it was a phone call or whatever, but you said it was getting to present your entire life to the world. And there were people that were close to you that had no idea. It was like a shock to them that you had yeah. these stories.
2: Definitely. Yeah. It was people I had known for 10, 20 years who were learning new things about me, people who are very close to me. I think my wife definitely learned some things in the book. And and if my parents, I don't think they've read it, but if they read it, they would learn a lot of things about me through it. Your response, Shannon, I, I really appreciate that. It warms my heart to know that you're a, well, one, you're able to admit that you probably have done some of these things because the unawareness, not, not even that, you know, that you probably know some, some, some instances, but the unawareness around things, but then to, to have the openness to use that as a way to start to learn, to start to understand, to start to, to become aware is, is something that I think has helped with those people around me when it, when it, when it's, related to me or just related to anyone and anybody. And I think that's the true mark of empathetic and compassionate world where you don't have to experience those things, but to know, to, to, to hear about it, to know about it, and then to actually, you know, care, to give a shit is, is where you want people to be. And I think that's what has helped with so many people in my life. To, it's like to give a
1: shit. Oof. Yeah. Yeah it's to give a shit about something outside of yourself enough to say i'm going to take responsibility for how i show up yes. in this situation.
2: Absolutely. Yes.
1: And sometimes when we go through the healing process when you step out of the normalization it looks like we're getting selfish. But that is the opposite.
2: Mhm. I love that. It's just a, a different level of understanding and I think to know thyself is the greatest love of all. And you have to get to that point. It's tough for people to see something that they just can't fathom for themselves. Mm. And so they drag that selfish, that's mean, that's that. But it's not. It's it's you looking out for you. Because then, like you said in the last episode, you put that mask on so that you can then give and pour out. Because if you're drained, you're not pouring out anything for anybody else.
0: So many good things in the book. I just I have something else. <laughs> this goes with that coach making that comment to you. Oh, you're smart. But you talk about in the book that it's commonplace in the Black community to say that a black person who speaks articulately is talking like a white person. It seemed like the more educated I got, the more people equated me with being white, the more successful I became, the whiter I appeared to others. I thought it was so demeaning to the black race in general, because it implied that being black meant being uneducated and unsuccessful.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that hurts to even hear. But yeah, it's something that you hear a lot in just understanding how things have evolved in our country over time. I think it's a self-hating, self-deprecating way of looking at things. The way that a person speaks shouldn't define anything about them other than can I understand them or not? And then levels of success, as relative as they are, I think it goes back to what we were talking about normalization in the last episode. Like normal was food stamps, was section eight, was WIC, was all of these resources provided by the government. And to get to a place where I didn't rely on those things or I could go out and do different have different experiences in my life to practice and teach yoga right they're like oh that's white that's white and it's it's like what is white and what is black in terms of things that you do and things that you enjoy it doesn't make sense to me at this point but because it's not normal in a community to do things like that that was a lot of the things that I started to do to your point Alexis like looking after me was viewed as you know white and different and It was weird. The positive traits sometimes equated to white, negative traits equated to black. And it just, it just hurts to even think about that.
0: I appreciated you calling that out and naming that the fact that now you say that still hurts Mm -hmm. because that's still there,
2: Mm -hmm. right? It is present. And I think it's part of the systemic part of society. There's studies and things done where you take a two-year-old kid who, when they're able to point and you know blabber and they'll point to something and says black kid is the bad one white kid is the the good one this Asian kid is a smart one and, and they they do that from an early age and so these are things that are programmed in our brains from from then from the media from the things that we hear from all of that and and that's the sad part it's like oh man, you don't even have control over that thought. I don't even have control over that thought. That's been ingrained in my psyche. And that's the tough part.
1: Asking ourselves about those things that are ingrained was the beginning of my awareness. Mm -hmm. Like, why am I thinking this? Why do I have to read a book one chapter at a time? (laughs) Why Mm -hmm. do I have these weird fundamental things that I don't even understand where they came from. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Part of my yoga practice is like awareness. Meditation and mindfulness is awareness because when you become aware, then you can start to make adjustments. And so like one of the early things that people tell people to do when it comes to bias stereotypes and things like that is the implicit bias test, right? See where you land. Because for someone like, like I've taken all of them from, you know, fat and skinny, black, white, able body, disabled body, like all these different things. And I'm surprised that where I am on it now. And I think it's just a little bit more awareness there. But but for black and white, it's like there, there's 75% of all people have a prejudice toward white versus black. And that's that's what's ingrained. But now you have awareness around that. And now you see how that shows up in your daily life, how you respond. What do, what do you do when you're walking down the street? There's a black dude and a and a black Hoodie, and then there's a white dude in a black hoodie. Like, how is your body differently? Or how does your mind and your body act differently in those situations? And you become aware. So then you can change behavior.
1: So powerful. When there's enough of us having these conversations, then hopefully that's another opportunity to really break these generational stereotypes that have been programmed in us for years. And it's the right conversation at that exact moment in time of like, hey, come join us. Because we care enough to move the needle.
2: That reminds me of pictures of, let's say, the the Black Lives Matter movement or you know social unrest in 2020. Let's go there. Take a picture from a march or or whatever you have, and then take a picture from 1966, and mm. you see a lot of similarities. It's like mm. some of the same signs you see, and and it's it's disheartening. It's like oh my gosh, we've come this far to be there still, but. I think the difference is you see more people who aren't directly impacted by whatever the injustice is supporting that cause now. So that, that picture today is going to be a little bit more diverse, maybe a lot more diverse than that picture was back then. And I think that's the room for hope is that people are hearing it and people are saying, damn, like we we want to make this better. And it's just a matter of doing that and continuing to grow that so that People care about things that don't just directly affect them. They care about people and things in in the environment and all of that. Mm.
1: That to me continues down the line of leadership. Sometimes those big machines start rolling that leaders at the top forget how painful certain day-to-day tasks are, right? They forget Mm -hmm. what the grind is like. And until someone on their team can speak loud enough or in a way for leadership to hear those pain points. Nothing ever gets to change for the front line. And that's like government, the diversity in my mind that you're talking about, that until it is painful enough for the people that are not directly related to it, that is when it changes.
2: Yeah, yeah. You see it. I mean, let's just take, for instance, like cannabis. Cannabis is being legalized now because of a group of people now can make money off of it get tax dollars off of it where when a bunch of black men were selling weed they were getting locked up and locked up for life and because it became a place where someone could benefit it then affected them so it became legal in certain places one day i hope it's legal everywhere and that's just one example There's so many examples of things like that, where when it affects the powers that be, that's when things change. And that's just not how we were meant to be as humans. We are on this planet together. We're coexisting. And I believe that we should all be in it for everybody. And that's how I live my life. And so hopefully with the leadership that I put out there, more people start to follow suit.
1: Okay, mom,
0: bring us back, bring Uh, us back. You reference trauma and really what you speak to is our responsibility is to deal with our trauma and how often it's placed on us. And sometimes as kids in a relationship with a parent where we're expected to understand and deal with their trauma or in a relationship. And speaking of relationships, let's just name Katie right now. I mean, we've not met her. You speak about her in the book. You talked about it the last time we were together that she had talked to you about therapy and you were like, okay, probably mostly going because your girlfriend wanted you to go or friend. I don't know if you guys were dating at that moment or not. And then you find out she tells her best friend and you're like, nope, not doing it. And it was (laughs) another If I remember correctly, you said seven years.
2: Yeah, I think it's about seven years, probably more.
0: That you were dealing with and going through your stuff in your way with her still standing there alongside you. I can't imagine that was the easiest thing for her to be going through.
2: I can't speak for her, but i probably not. I don't know if I've always or if I still am a pleasant person to be around at times. But no, she has a tremendous level of understanding and patience. And I think that was one of the things that drew me to her the most. Her knowledge about things, her awareness and her action was that patience and sitting in it and allowing me to sit through it. My childlike behavior when i'm upset is to just shut down silent treatment all of that and she just has this way she's a pediatrician so she just knows how to talk to child like me when i'm in those states and (laughs) it's like one word she can i get him to say one word and she's like so basically like putting a diagram in front of me point to a color that you feel and not not to that extent but like that's what it feels (laughs) like and I'll, i'll say a color and then she's like, okay, can I get two things out of them? And then before you know it, I'm I'm talking and I'm like, oh gosh. So I honestly think she was, she was one of my first therapists before I actually stepped into a, a professional, professionally trained therapist office. So, but yeah, a lot of patients there.
0: She had you prepared for it. I was thinking about it too, because you even talked about it with the work that your parents need to do. Like this has been referenced a lot in our conversation in terms of, relationships where others might have work that they need to do. Let's say you had gone at that point, but you were really going more because, oh, my girlfriend says I should be here. Or maybe this is going to help. You were kind of dipping a toe, but doing it because she was mm-hmm. like pushing you and maybe it wouldn't have had the effect that it since had, right? Maybe you needed those seven years right. or more.
2: Absolutely. You can't force help or treatment to, for anyone, whether they're dealing with substance abuse, whether they're like, they're going to show up, they're going to zone out and they're going to be done with it. And when is I, when am I going to get my next hit? When am I going to be able to pout like a little kid again? When am I like, that's what it's going to be. And so everyone who's going through something has to be open and receptive to that help in order for it to work. Because if there's any doubt, if there's any hesitation, then that's going to counteract whatever is being done. And you need a full buy-in to get the true help that you need. Yeah.
1: The person has to want it. Absolutely. If you want to get through it, you have to have a deep enough reason to want to change. Yes. And without those, it doesn't stick.
2: No. There may be some hope there, but I honestly don't see it being as beneficial as it could be. It's like being hypnotized. You can't be hypnotized if you go into it. Like, I don't believe in, in hypnotization. You have to go into it with like, I'm, I'm expecting this person to actually take me somewhere else. And when you come in with that mindset, then you're able to be hypnotized. And I think the same thing with healing and, and going through therapy or whatever it may be.
0: Let's just release the stigma around therapy. I didn't get to experience therapy until I was close to my halfway 90 point of life. And man, amazing to this day, Dr. Sandy. Love that woman. Shout out to Dr. Um, Sandy. We should all go. We actually exposed Lex to that at a much younger age than for myself or her dad. We talk about mental health, and I love one of the ways you describe yourself, or perhaps others have also described you as a mental health advocate. We all should be that, like Mm -hmm. realizing. That this is a good thing. It's not, it doesn't mean there's something wrong. This stigma that's, that's around it, I think is so unfortunate.
2: Things are going good. Let me go talk to my therapist about it. Things are going bad. Let me go talk to my, like, I think it's something that everyone can use. It's, it's like oil change for your car. Your car runs perfectly fine, but you still go get it maintained. We maintain our bodies. We go get checkups for our bodies. We go do all these things, but for our minds, we often neglect that. And I think that that's a huge disservice and part of the stigma, but in breaking that down, like I, I will continue to go to therapy for the rest of my life in good or bad times. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Speaking of mind, let's have this conversation about some hot
2: yoga. <laughs> namaste. <laughs> namaste.
0: Lexis, do you remember we were at a basketball tournament, I think in Tennessee and we in were this huge facility. So, I mean, I don't know how many years ago, 17, 18 years
1: ago. Oh Oh. no, stop it right now. (laughs) Not get carried away with that many years. Okay. I just (laughs) turned 30. That is no, too long. How old do you think you were? I was 17 years old. Oh, okay. 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 That's fine. So, I mean, easy.
0: Side note in four years when I still 13
1: years ago. Okay. That's still, I'm not ready for the 17 or 18. (laughs) I will accept 13 years ago. Okay. But yes, we were in Nashville, Tennessee for a basketball tournament playing travel basketball and the facility we were playing in and that we were staying near was freaking beautiful. Yeah. Mom took myself and like i want to say it was most of the team there were a couple of girls that opted out of this adventure yeah they didn't
0: listen to mama shan
1: that was my first hot yoga class ever
0: mine too we had (laughs) no clue what we were doing we were not prepared in any way shape or form and we walked into this thing and we're just like oh like (laughs) that was an experience (laughs) i will say though like we had that experience and went wow, that was really cool. And then Mm -hmm. stepped away from it and didn't do anything with it for years. Recently, last couple of years, I feel like I got back into hot yoga. actually got myself to a point where I even was doing, I say this as if it's a huge accomplishment, but I went from the 60 minute class to the 90 minute class. That is huge. So Reggie, I'm reading the book and you're like hot yoga. And I was like, oh yeah,
2: let's talk about that.
0: How'd you find it? What's been your experience?
2: Absolutely. So November 11th will be my seventh yoga yogaversary, which is, Mm. yeah, I've been doing yoga for seven years. I had a background in in football, basketball, track, and those are the sports that I played year-round, always moving around doing something. And then in college, after I stopped playing football, I had these nagging injuries. So like sophomore year of college till I was about 24, 25, I had so many nagging injuries and plantar fasciitis was one of them and I was like I was in my early 20s with plantar fasciitis and every time I would tell people they're like oh yeah my dad my mom my uncle my granddad has that and I'm like okay and so and and if you don't know what that is it's like a knife just cutting the the heels of your your foot at with every step and it's, it's worse worst in the morning and oh my god it was so bad but I had it in both heels And back spasms, migraines, all of this like stuff from just lifting and playing football. And I decided I wanted to do something more passive. And so I looked at Aikido, which was a form of martial arts, but the training was very passive. It was nice; I liked that. But it was it was some of the poses that I had to hold were hurting my feet and everything else. And so I just decided one day I was going to walk into a yoga studio. It was hot yoga of East Nashville. And I walked in and I had worked out that morning too. And I did like upper body triceps and all that. And so downward facing dog was like a workout for me. I was just shaking, up. like, I did not expect this. And one of my my former teammates was literally right next to me. He was laughing his butt off because he had been doing (laughs) yoga for some time. And after I came out of there, I felt like I had jumped in a swimming pool. Like I was so sweaty, but I felt good. And I felt clarity and I think I cried and I had so many things going on, like, I like full transparency. I was aroused. I was crying. I was sweating. Like I was, it was a whole bunch of different things. And I was like, what is this? Like, this is a huge release. And so I decided that I was just going to stick with it. I did two weeks straight. It was like an intro course or intro package. And after that two weeks, my plantar fasciitis went away in both heels. And I had done everything in the world to get that away. And that two weeks did it, and it's never come back. And so I've been committed to my yoga practice ever since, just for that alone. But so many more benefits that I've gotten out of it spiritually. Yoga in general is great workouts, great for mindfulness. And yes, it's it's been life saving.
0: I love that you said, I decided to try something a little bit more passive and then the first class you go into you're like i'm shaking even if you had yes. done a workout that morning but yoga to me is probably one of the hardest forms of mm. working out sometimes mm. physically but that mental piece that you just talked about oh. and emotional boy yeah yeah if you That's haven't sick. cried through a yoga class am yes. i right <laughs> Am I right? It
2: is, yes. You will feel <laughs> all the feels. So in my classes now, I talk and I, I tell stories and things like that, which sometimes evoke emotion. But even if you don't have that, like you're just moving through the postures and you're opening up different parts of your body where trauma is locked, where pain has been locked in, that alone will make you feel something. And yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's so amazing.
1: Other than healing your body, at the time that yoga came into your life I know last time you kind of mentioned mid-20s was when you were waking up to some of that awareness and really starting to feel these trailhead triggers pop off with yoga at that time was it a savior was it a way to channel things towards healing
2: yeah good question it felt safe It felt safe. And so I think that I craved safety and comfort and it was that for me, it was a place where I did a lot of healing because for parts of practice, if there was no music, if there was no one talking, or even if I just tuned all that stuff out, then I would be sitting there with my thoughts and you can't go grab your phone. You can't go do something else. And I just started to feel stuff. I started to process stuff during those practices then I got more intentional about it. Like I'm going him for 60 minutes. Let me go with an intention at the beginning of class. You're usually setting an intention, and I'm that's what I'm working through. I'm processing that, and and so yeah, it became a place of healing for me. It was so great because I was going through so much. Like the the pictures behind me, they're my grandparents. So that's Granny and Pops in the in the story, and they had just split up which was weird. Like whose grandparents split up? Like, that's weird. Y'all get back together. Like, <laughs> and I had lost football. And I say lost because it was a loss, loss that I was grieving. I, I really was going through a lot. I had a cousin who had just been killed. I, anyway, I can talk about a lot of different things, but I started to see the results of those. I would break down at parties. I also started drinking when I was 21, which probably let some of that emotion come out. And I would be having a great time and then boom, just sad, crying, boom. And some people like, man, is that bipolar disorder? And I'm like, from what I know about bipolar disorder, it doesn't look like this. I didn't know what it was, but those are my triggers. Those are PTSD coming. That was that coming up for me. And yoga was a place where I felt safe.
1: Thanks for sharing.
2: I got a question for Shannon. I'm curious. You said the book wouldn't be one that you would pick up and read. Is is there something about it that's important? Because if people who were in the field that you're in or who want to experience change like that, but what about it? I'm just curious.
0: Yeah. I'm going to have to say this. I (laughs) read a book once and I rarely ever read a book a second time. I can watch a movie once. And then the second time I watched it, I'm like, Oh, I didn't remember that. To me, it's like watching it the first time for some reason with shows and movies, I watched that and need to see it again with a book. I'm like, Oh, I remember reading that. So one, your book is one now of three books that I've read more than once. Had I walked into the library and it been sitting there, like as a recommendation or out. And I looked at it, I definitely would have thumbed through it. And in that particular case, probably would have thought to read it, especially as I thumbed through the first few pages, because the book definitely did grab me quickly. When I say I probably wouldn't have read it, I think it's more that I don't know that I would have been exposed to it. Gotcha. So I mean it more that way, Mm -hmm. that I don't know that I would have come across it, to read it.
2: Gotcha. That makes sense. And and I was just asking out of curiosity. I have friends who still haven't read it and they, they've they expressed like, I'm afraid of what that's going to bring up for me personally. And I'm afraid of what I'm going to learn about you. It's vulnerable. It's, it's tough. And so I get that. So I was just curious. I, I just like to ask people things like that. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Well, and it, it's made me also look to other books that I want to read. I have one that I pre-ordered because I just learned about it. Had I known this with your book, Reggie, and we'd known it back then, I would have done it because I've learned that pre-ordering is very yes, important when it comes to books. And so I'm really excited because I just ordered Running While Black Ooh. by Alison Mariella Sur.
2: I have heard of that since
0: I run, I have an interest in that. She says, finding freedom in a sport that wasn't built for us. Mm, okay. Your book has made me more open to, and actually taking more action. If I want to make these changes and grow myself and educate myself and learn, I've got to be willing to read the books. I've got mm. to be willing to follow individuals that aren't like me. Your book opened some doors for me, yeah. I guess. If that's how we want to say it, opened some places in me to to be more vulnerable and open and look at my life and figure out what it is that I need to do to not continue to contribute to thoughtlessly, thoughtlessly mm. contribute to these systems wow. that continue wow. to to oppress and, mm-hmm. and do this. And yeah, your, your book was my first, it was the stepping stone. Wow. So thank you.
2: No, thank you. That, that means a lot. And it, it gives me so much insight and, and, and it's it in, in writing and publishing the book, I had advice on, on the packaging of it and not just like the title and cover and Well, title and cover and things like that, but like, what would get it mainstream and, and it's, it's, it's almost like you hear it in music and things like they, they make musicians put out music that they're not really comfortable doing. And so I I decided like, I wanted it to be my authentic creation. I wanted it to be that. And so even like, I, I, I went back and forth with the subtitle, you know, black man in America, I went back and forth with that. Cause if you take that out, then it opens it up to more people saying, Hmm, that might be my life. Right. And, but I just, it. It just didn't feel authentic to me, and I think that was the approach that I was going with. Like, I wanted it to be completely authentic. I can get a ghostwriter for the business, the self help book that I write later on, or the business book or whatever. I can get a ghostwriter for those things, but this, this is me, and and so I can I I feel proud to know that I can always go back and be like, yeah, I didn't I didn't sacrifice any of my authenticity for that, and so I'm glad that it came across your way, and I hope that many listeners and and other people get to experience that as well
0: me too
1: ditto and yes. on the cover of the book the tree mm-hmm.
2: yes yes
1: i mean i have many things with trees but yeah. it looks to me it's a tree that's bare mm-hmm. talk to me reggie about the tree <laughs> that's on your book Oh,
2: so, i had a graphic designer design that and i had an idea in my mind and, and he had played around with it and, and he thought it ended up looking too cheeky, but I wanted a tree and a brain type of thing. And the tree ended up being the thing that stuck. I mentioned this in the book where a tree with all of its limbs, with no extraneous limbs, signified a family tree, signified stability and security. And I never had that, right? I have, like my parents were never married. My grandparents were never married. I have half brothers, I have half sisters and and like all of this stuff. And that was me wanting that, that craving that normalcy of the family that you see on TV, but it has no leaves on it. And I think that the curse would have been a, a tree with a bunch of broken limbs on the ground. And we're starting with a bear tree that hopefully produces fruit. And with breaking the curse, whatever I produce from that, Will fill that tree up. So I don't know. Maybe the next book will have a tree with more leaves and some fruit on it.
1: I just got shivers down my spine. Okay, Mom. Any last things we want to be able to throw out from the book? I know you have many, and I'm <laughs> sorry that we didn't get to talk so about many. all of them. So many.
0: It's okay. It's okay. Before you two started to talk a little bit about leadership and how you're living your lives, I know one of the things in conversations we've had, you guys have talked about is that desire to achieve and why you felt like you were needing to do it and how you've had to adjust for that in your own lives. And Reggie, you speak about that in the book. So it's there. Go get Reggie's book, PTSD by Reggie D. Ford. And you can read all about that. But as we speak about leadership with your company, when I went to learn a little bit more about you and your company, one of the things that I noticed on your website was you talking about beyond us Mm -hmm. and beyond today.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I wanted to provide some space here for you to speak to that. I feel like that's a great thing for us to end on is hearing what that means to you
2: yeah so that phrase actually came during a conversation I was having with my best friend and when we get together it is just deep thought it is deep conversation kind of like today and I remember where I was standing and everything and I was like it's bigger than us like it's beyond us it's beyond today and I was like wait a minute I gotta go write that down (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and so I wrote it down but it's this sense of everything that I've ever done in my life I don't feel was for me. I always had the dream of like, I want to provide for every single person in my family. I want to buy a mom a house, I want to buy dad a house. I want to have this whole big, big thing so that I could take care of so many people. And that was part of that mindset. It was bigger than me in this situation. Everything that I'm doing is, is beyond me. And then beyond today, for well, me and my siblings, we're, we're the, the oldest of that generation. We're the end of that generation in my lineage or whatever. And so everything is beyond that. So like, what does the next generation look like? And I have nieces now. I have a bunch of nieces. And so they are the seeds of that. But then for me personally, I don't know what that, that next level is. Maybe it's a child. Maybe Rosie becomes president. That's my dog, if you didn't catch that earlier. But it's like the seeds that I'm planting today are hopefully going to produce some fruit that makes this world a better place tomorrow. And that's the same thing with the company, with everything that I do. Like, it's not about me because our lives, like you talked about this, like this is temporary. All of this is temporary. But I think legacy lives on far beyond our years. And so with the book, it's archived in the library of the Congress. And so one day some descendant or one of my great, great, great grandchildren is going to read that book and say, wow, this is where it started. This is why I go to therapy and there's no stigma around it. Like, wow. Right. Something simple, I hope. And that's what it's about. It's, it's bigger than us. Cause I mean, you know, we'll be lucky if we live hundred plus years, but that's still short in the grand scheme of things. And what can you do today that has that lasting impact?
1: Mm. <laughs> on that note, Reggie, where can anyone who listens to Evolving Truths find you?
2: Yeah, you can call me. My number is i You're going to follow me on any social media, my My handle is Ford on all social medias. And then ReggieDFord.com. You can leave questions, comments, reviews of the book, whatever you want. Just uh, hit me up and I will get to it when I can.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Honestly, it feels like an honor to know you. It feels like an honor to get to spend this time with you. Well, the
2: feeling is mutual when I first started listening to the podcast, I, I love the dynamic between the two of you. And I, I just, I loved it. I love the, the authenticity that came out of your stories. It was so beautiful. And so I'm, I'm honored to be the first male on the podcast and I can't wait to hear the responses from it.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Reggie. Thank you. Mama, anything else? No, I think I'm, i I feel kind of like how I felt in my 55 K when I hit that one aid station, I knew I was going to finish. And then I just had all this like emotion. And even that stayed with me probably a week or so after I, I've, i I kind of have that feeling like Reggie, thank you, because I feel like I'm going to carry this for a bit. And I love that. I'm so grateful to have gotten to have this experience and have you here. And we look forward to sharing you with the Evolving Truths community and others and continue to see you grow. And oh, and we can't wait to meet Katie.
1: Yes.
2: She does not know what she signed up for. Like, Katie's going to be yeah. like,
0: Reggie, what did you get me into? Yeah. I never told those women I'd talk
2: to them. <laughs> she has no idea.
1: It's going to be great. Okay. Well, thank you again for being here. And we'll be back next week. Wow. How cool. If mom and I are totally your cup of tea, please like this podcast, follow the show wherever you're listening, leave a review, share this episode with someone in your life that you want to have a conversation with, because that is how we get to keep getting bigger and our branches keep growing and we keep evolving and our community gets to be more inclusive of everyone that resonates here. Until next time, please remember that life is beautiful and you create the magic. Have a good one.
0: Connect with Shannon and Alexis and the Evolving Truths community by visiting evolvingtruthspodcast.com. Links are in the show notes. The artwork for this project was created by Julie B. Salazar and is entitled Celebration from the Inner Landscape Print Series. The Evolving Truths podcast is produced and edited by Shannon Day and Alexis Ray, recorded from the Corner Studio in conjunction with Alexis Ray Enterprises, LLC.